Well, we come back to the book of Ruth, and we move to the second chapter of this outstanding book. And last time we were together, we finished Ruth chapter 1. It seems like uh, that was a while back, but I'm sure you remember it well. Ruth chapter 1 is very much like a roller coaster. Any of your roller coaster fans out there? I, thanks, Bill. I, you know, I like a good roller coaster. I'm not all about this, all this spinny stuff. You know, the stomach doesn't like all that so much. But a good roller coaster, I can do that. And Ruth is very much like that. I mean, you never know what's coming next. It's like all of a sudden you're shooting to the top and dropping off a blind edge and around a corner, and you're never sure what's coming next. Well, it's what we want to understand about this book is that's exactly like our lives, isn't it? I mean, we're going along, everything seems like it's okay, and boom, right turn. Didn't expect to be going this way, didn't think this was going to happen. You know, whether it be challenges that come up or redirection or whatever it may be. And that's a wonderful understanding for us that so also was it in the lives of these in the Scripture whether it be for change or turmoil or whatever it might be. Uh, it's been wonderful, you know, to have to be in the office with Andrew and Stephen with those young kids, and, and Andrew's family's been going through it. Uh, poor Elena, they've had some sickness going in and out of the house, and uh, they had everybody kind of well and moving forward, and they woke up Monday, and one of the kids had their eyes all kind of clouded over, and they thought, oh no, pink eye. And so Andrew came to work, and he's like, oh, this can't be. Well, it was just allergies, but, uh, you know, that's kids, right? You never know what's going to happen next. And really, it's not much different than us. We're all kids, too, and we're not sure what the Lord's going to bring to us next, but we do know how we are to respond. And really, that's a function of our attitude, isn't it? Attitude is the main issue here, and we have to continually check our attitudes because they play such a huge role. How often do we allow ourselves to be adversely affected by our attitudes? It can be big issues or it can be little issues, but depending on how we respond really makes a much bigger impact oftentimes than the issue itself. When, when life brings you lemons, do you make lemonade? Or do you just get a big sour pucker on your face? Well, we can all do a little of both, can't we? Our attitudes are so crucial, and tonight we see a lot about that, as we have in last week. So the challenges of life and how we're to deal with each element, how we face the ups and downs. And I, I have to confess to you tonight that this is one of the more challenging messages for me. J.C. Ryle said that message preacheth itself not well until it preacheth itself first in the preacher's heart. Well, I can tell you this message preaches itself well in this preacher's heart because I have struggled a little bit with this whole house thing. And usually when I go through the scripture, you know, I'm, I'm thankful the Lord has strengthened me to move away from those besetting sins, not that I'm in any way sin-free, but this issue of worry, this issue of anxiety, this issue of attitude, sometimes my attitude is not great, and particularly as it relates to the sale of that stinking house. Oh, that wonderful house, and it is, and the blessing that it is, and it is. But see how quickly we can twist the attitude and make it not what it ought to be. 
Well, the challenges of life are everywhere, and how do we deal with these elements? How do we deal with the ups and downs? Well, Ruth was, of course, so much like that. We started with those faithless men, particularly the three men in Naomi's life. They're running from the Lord. They're trying to avoid the famine, trying to avoid the wrath of God, and the result is that in their faithlessness, they die. And then we go from the bottom to the top, from these faithless men to these faithful women, particularly of Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. The men are punished, the women are blessed. And if you think of it, it's largely a function of their attitudes because they both had identical circumstances. They both were experiencing the same thing. God was punishing Israel. He brought a famine, and the men responded in disobedience. The women, however, subject to the same punishment. Some could say they were subject to more punishment. It was their husbands who died. But they responded in faithfulness. They're faithful to follow their husbands, even though they were wrong. But more importantly, they were faithful to follow God. And this was where the mountaintop experience of Ruth's great profession was at the end of chapter 1 there, where she says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And where you die, I will die. Those five incremental steps of continuing obedience, of her commitment, not only to Naomi, but to Naomi's God. And the roller coaster then through the, the, through the men at the bottom and back to the top to the women. And then we plunge back down the other side at the end of chapter 1 to the end of Naomi's life when they return back to Bethlehem. That great decline and, and Naomi's bitterness. She demands that they call her Mara. That word for bitterness. And not her name, Naomi, which means lovely, but she doesn't want to be seen as lovely and sweet. She wants to be seen as bitter and ugly. Is that an attitude for you or what? And can't we relate? Aren't there times in our lives where when we consider the things that are going on, we we just want to be a Naomi or we, we want to be a Mara? We want to be bitter. We want to be angry. Don't mess with me. I'm mad about this and I'm justified in being mad. Oh, what does the Bible say about that? Right? Be angry but do not sin. The only kind of anger, beloved, that we can have that is justified is that which is righteous when God is offended. Not when we are offended. So when there's an anger in your life and when you're sure you're justified in what's going on, stop and ask yourself the question, is it because God is offended or is it because I am offended? Where it pretty quickly points the compass with regards to the righteousness or unrighteousness of our anger. Well, we move on to chapter 2, and as we do, the attitudes are the focus, and, and we want to consider what is our attitude. You see, your attitude, again, is so critical in all that we do, and as, that's the title of our message today, that is, what is your attitude? And as we look at this, our theme is that, the, that a God-honoring attitude will result in in God's bestowed blessings. 
Think about that for a minute. A God-honoring attitude will result in God's bestowed blessings upon us. Whatever's going on in our lives, if we will respond with an attitude that honors God, we will be blessed in it. Not that the circumstances are immediately going to be changed, but we will receive God's blessing, and we're going to see how that happens. And through that, we're going to ask two key questions tonight through this section. And the first is, what is your material attitude? And the second is, what is your spiritual attitude? Your material attitude and your spiritual attitude. And as we ask these two questions, remember that theme, that a God-honoring attitude will result in God's bestowed blessings. Again, not the easiest lesson for me to bring to you at this time in my life, but the Lord is teaching me too, so I'm glad to be learning right alongside with y'all. Let's take a look at our text together in Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Follow along as I read through the first seven verses. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. As we look through our text tonight, again, we're going to see these two key attitudes. What's your material attitude and what's your spiritual attitude? Remembering that a God-honoring attitude results in God's bestowed blessings. We have this wonderful introduction in verse 1 as we pass through the beginning. And we have in transition to a whole new subject. We've, we've left the first sta- phase of the story. And it was a story of varying faithlessness and faithfulness. Occurring in a foreign land amongst a people who were alien to God. And now we see the second phase of the story. Chapter 1, if we were to break Ruth in parts, chapter 1 would be the first part. Chapters 2 through 4 would be the second part. And in the second part, we return to a people who are the people of God. To the land of promise, to Israel. And we return to a story now, not of faithlessness and faithfulness, but one of continued faithfulness. So from a spiritual perspective, we're on a continuing climb. But what now becomes the turns in the road is what could possibly be happening next and why we're seeing it. Well, that's what we're going to unpack as the roller coaster turns side to side now and not so much up and down. Look, if you would, with me at a New Testament passage just to consider a concept. Turn with me to John chapter 15. 
John chapter 15 and verse 16. We need to take a moment and focus on this idea of the theme that is that our attitude will result in God's bestowed blessings upon us. You see, many in our world take this radically out of context. The idea that God will bless us according to our terms is what so many wrongly think. Some think that whatever blessing is appropriate or that we think we should have, God will bring. This is the entire foundation of the health and wealth prosperity gospel movement. Where they would say that if you don't have all of God's richest blessings, it's because you're not giving enough. It's because you don't have enough faith. And you just need to give a little more so that God then will give back to you. But we have to understand one important element here. The blessings that God returns to us that I told you are our theme, they're on God's terms, not ours. They will always occur, but not necessarily in the manner in which we expect them to come. God gives us good things always, but sometimes we don't see them as good or they're not the kind of good that we expect. It's kind of like when we discipline young children. You know the familiar line here, this is going to hurt me a lot worse than it's going to hurt you. And this is for your own good. But what does the child think when you say that to them? They certainly don't think so. He certainly can't see how it's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt him. If this isn't his first time into the garage, he knows where the hurting's going to be going. And he certainly doesn't think it's going to be very good. Yet the discipline is vital our children and so it is in the same way with us and it isn't just in the element of discipline think monetarily for a minute perhaps there's someone here who would wish they would win the lottery now i know none of us would buy a lottery ticket that'd be gambling that would be ill-gotten gain that would be things that we would never do as christians but what ends up happening for those that do win it ends in tragedy Most of those people have spent that wealth within a very few years and find themselves in a worse condition than when they began. We have to understand what God wants from us and how we're to deal with those blessings that he brings into our lives. I I had an illustration here about a house and buying a house and selling a house, but it just got a little too close to home, so I took it out. Um, But God gives us exactly what we need, whether or not we know it. And this is what we see in John 15, 16. Look at that verse with me. John 15 and verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This doesn't mean that we can ask for anything that we want and that God will give it. This doesn't make God a supernatural vending machine. Yet this is exactly how some people act. They think that whatever God we would ask, God would give us because of this verse. Well, that's not what the verse says. That's a classic case of, context, of miscontextualizing. This verse is in the section of the vine and the branches. It's about coming to know Christ. It's about the disciples' relationship one to another and particularly be about being brought into the kingdom of God and an understanding that when we are in God's kingdom that his desire is to provide for our needs. So the blessings we receive are what we need. Well, verse 1 of 
Ruth chapter 2 serves to start to introduce this to us in this new section. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. Simply stated there in verse 1, it's just a relation. It's a first or second cousin. It's not somebody that would have been a brother. There would have been a different term that would have related to that. We're not told exactly what it is at this point, but we'll get some more information shortly. Furthermore, he's not just a relative, he is a kinsman. Now, we've previously addressed that concept in chapter 1. Talked about the importance of it back from Deuteronomy and why this has an impact soteriologically as it relates to Jesus Christ. We'll see a bunch more of that coming up in the very, very near future. We also see here that he's a man of great wealth. We could translate that phrase, great wealth, as vigorous property or vigorous wealth. Dr. MacArthur indicates that this term shows his great ability to protect and take care of his land. Now think about that. This is a man with vigorous land, with vast amounts of land. He is a huge landowner. But what do we know about him if we kind of recognize that we've read the rest of the story? He's not married, is he? And he has no children. In that day and age in Israel, the way that a man managed his property was through his children. Very much like what it used to be in the United States on the smaller farms in our country. They were run by the man and his children. Everyone had a role to do. I remember my grandparents' ranch. Grandma was, you know, she was out feeding the bum lambs. And uh, somebody was, you know, the younger kids were out changing water. When it came time to cut the hay, everybody had a role. Everybody was working. But this is showing us by the fact that he had no children, the magnitude of his wealth to pay for servants for this vast amount of land. He's also described as from the family of Elimelech. This really would best be translated as the clan of Elimelech. Again, it's indicating that there is some separation in relation between the man and between Elimelech. Very much like as we're talking about Tom's niece. It's not an immediate relative, it's a brother's relative. So there's some separation that's going on there. It's not the direct family lineage. Finally, we see his name, Boaz. Boaz means, in him is strength. So here we have this new introduction. This new man comes on the scene. This is so pivotal. Think about all of the other men we've seen in chapter 1. They were all disobedient. They're all dead. It's been a story that's been primarily about women. Now all of a sudden, we come back to the first man, a very significant occurrence. So this new introduction, this new scene, now in the land of Israel, and now comes Boaz, who in him is strength. In verse 2, we see our first point, and that regards to our, with, has respect to our material attitude. As we ask the question, what is our material attitude, Con- consider again that theme, that a God-honoring attitude will result in God's bestowed blessings. Look at verse 2 with me. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. The author again reminds us that it is Ruth she's speaking about. 
and that she is the Moabitess. This is the third time in as many verses, if we go back to the end of chapter 1, that she has been labeled as a Moabitess. The author does not want us to forget that this woman is not a native Israelite, at least by birth. Three times we've seen this, but yet we have seen her great commitment to God. Back in verse 16 through 18 of chapter 1. And actually, uh, a, a group who God has cursed in the Moabites. Now, I hope you're asking yourself, what does this have to do with material things? Because the answer is everything. Ruth is requesting from Naomi to go gather grain. The Bible uses the word glean, to glean. Gleanings are the leftovers. These are the kernels of wheat which fell into the dirt from all that they had picked from the stalks of grain. In Leviticus 19.9 and in Leviticus 23, they all speak of this gleaning and that which was to go on. You see, God had commanded the Hebrews to leave the corners of their fields for the poor. They were not to shake their olive trees until all of the olives came down, but they were to leave some for the poor. They weren't to cut everything right to the edges, but they were to provide for the others. Such a wonderful consideration. So even if they were to go and they were to drop in the harvest a full sheaf. Now this would be a lot of grain. They would take the grain, the grain would stand about three feet tall, and they would come through and they would cut it with a sickle and they would bind it in sheaves. Rounds that would be about this big around and of course they would tie it at the center so you'd have the stalks at the bottom and then the heads sticking out from the top. That way the heads would not be damaged. And they would set those on a cart pulled by oxen. As they were going through the field, if one of those sheaves fell off back from Leviticus, the Lord ordered that they not pick it up, that they leave it. That was a significant amount of grain. But this is the commitment that the Lord wants them to make, to trust in him and to leave for others that which they might need. So the point that we're seeing here is that Ruth is poor. And here is where the material attitude comes in. She is not upset by this condition. She is sitting in the house waiting for God to bring her, or she is not sitting in the house waiting for God to bring her a blessing. She's not just hanging out and waiting, but she is ready to go. She entreats Naomi to please allow me to go pick grain. Allow me to go out and find a field and to be able to, to go through the dirt to find some kernels of wheat that I may bring back for us. Please let me go. Or literally, may I go, I pray, to the field. And as she makes the request to go pick up the kernels of grain from the dirt, she does so for one purpose. As we see there in verse 2, it is to find favor. She doesn't know where it's going to come from. But she has a trust in the Lord. I don't care if I'm going to go out and I'm going to dig through dirt and I might not find anything at all. I might, I might get a quarter of a cup of wheat from a whole day of work and not enough to feed the two of us. But it's okay. Because I'm going to find favor. Do you see her attitude in that? She's not concerned about what she's going to get. No, I'm not going to go out and look for those farmers that have the old rugged carts that they always drop the, the whole sheaf off. I'm not going to go look for those rich guys who don't care so much and they leave big corners. I'm just going. 
I'm going to find the favor of the Lord. She's going to work and she is prepared to work hard for she hopes to find favor. She wants her hard work and she wants to receive the, war, the reward. She wants to be re- re- rewarded with grain as the Lord would allow. And this is so that she can provide for her and her mother-in-law. She is going out to, to meet the family needs. This one who has no relation to the land, who would be immediately recognized as a stranger, and we know that from the text because she's been identified three times as a Moabitess. But she wants to go out regardless of the hardship and regardless of what she might find. She is determined to work. Oh, if only we saw that case in our culture today. Many, many are just unwilling to work and would rather beg. I, frankly, I'm a little surprised in coming to Mobile regarding the homeless. I mean, I know it's a nice climate, but I did not expect to see as significant a population as homeless and begging on the streets, as, for instance, we saw in, in Santa Clarita. And yet there is. And so many, and I don't know all the circumstances, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what we ought to do about that, but in so many, you know, you see them standing there for six, eight hours. Well, a man who can stand for six or eight hours on the street probably can get a job and do something. If only there was this understanding. Well, the term for finding favor here is a legal term, and it's one who would throw himself upon the mercy of the court. Hoping for justice in a difficult or hopeless situation. Beloved, is that not us before the Lord? Are we not those who are hopeless before God? What good do we have to bring? What good is there in us apart from God? There is none. We are those who are hoping to find favor. And so also was Ruth as she came forward seeking provision And her material attitude is she doesn't care that she is poor. She is content in her circumstances. She is trusting in God's favor. She simply wants to work hard and to receive her just deserves. She has an attitude of confidence. What a lesson for us, beloved. How do we do in this area? What is your material attitude? None of us are poor to the extent that Ruth was. But even if we were, would we be this accepting? Would we be ready to work to this level? And not so as you could get out of poverty, but just so that you could take care of someone else. Many poor in our society do not have this attitude. And I fear many of us who struggle do not have this attitude. You see, we can have a bad attitude just as any other person of any other financial ability because it isn't a function of financial ability. It's a function of attitude. We can be very well-to-do, and in fact, we are. We are of the top 1% of the most wealthy people in all of the world at all times in this country today. That's pretty staggering, don't you think? I mean, we think of the wealthy, we think of those people with millions and millions or billions of dollars or whatever it might be. But we are those alongside of the rest of the population that has walked the face of this earth. We have that kind of wealth. We are that top, narrow percentage. 
So what is our attitude? It's interesting here when we consider this, how God delineated the opportunity for these people to receive their just deserves. He didn't tell the farmer to pick it and put it in a basket and set it on the side of the road so that they could come get it and walk away with it. It was left there so that they could go work and get it. The food was available for them, but they had to work to get it. Why is that? There's a a sense of worth in our work. The scripture tells us how important that is. What does Paul say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3? One of the most stunning revelations and the hardest words that the apostle ever brings where he says, if a man does not work, let him not eat. There is worth for us in work. There is a blessing in work. And there is a benefit that God provides and that is how it is to come. But what was our theme? A God-honoring attitude will result in God's bestowed blessings. The issue is not Ruth's circumstances, but her attitude. And so with us, a bad attitude towards any living condition can occur. But then look at verse 3 with me. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. She goes out to display her diligent, her diligent effort and her commitment to show that she is a woman of principle. I will go out, and she happened to come to the field of Boaz. Just happened to come. Hmm. Random chance? Good luck? Picked the right fork in the road? Through the right lot? I don't think so. In fact, I know that's not it. This is God's providence because the Hebrew text tells us that. It literally says that she happened by occurrence. Or if we were to take a really wooden, literal look at the Hebrew, it says she chanced by chance to come. The Lord orchestrated every piece of this so that she would by chance occur by two chance in this place. This was not an accidental occurrence. And this goes right to our theme. A God-honoring attitude will result in God's blessing. God blesses Ruth for her faithfulness. We're going to see that there's a whole bunch more blessing that's going to come than this. But he brought her to the field of Boaz. The portion of his field further emphasizes his wealth here in verse 3. It says she came to a portion of the field belonging to Boaz. If we were to go back and look into the Old Testament, into the property disposition that went on with the children of Israel, we would see that even in this term, there is a significant amount of size here. This may be a parcel who in average in Israel, perhaps five families would farm. And this was but a portion of his land. He goes to show us his wealth, and we're going to see how important that wealth becomes as we move along. And as we consider our question, what is your material question, think of yourself in Ruth's position. If you are lacking in any way, do you understand that God has allowed this? In financial provision, in physical affliction, in any condition, And your job is to work hard, to be faithful, to press ahead, to be accepting of that, and to honor Him. 
Think also of yourselves, not just in Ruth's position, but think of yourself in the landowner's position. As one to whom much has been given, do you give, do you give in with respect to what you have been given? With the rich blessings that God has given you in your life, is that what you would give back? Is it what you do give back? Are you leaving gleanings in your field? Or are you harvesting to the corners? You might be saying, what? I I don't have a field. Oh, really? Do we not all have great wealth and riches? Do we not all have a field of harvest that is white from what the Lord has given us? When we see those homeless people, sometimes we are just going to drive by and say, you know, they just ought to get a job. I'm guilty of that. I will acknowledge that. At times, beloved, I think we need to stop and consider what's going on in those people's lives. We had a great opportunity in San Diego. We were walking out of a pizza joint one night, and there's a homeless guy. We, this, we go to this pizza place every time we go to San Diego, and we've been going there for 20-some years. And we go, on the, we go into the pizza place on the first night, and there's a guy sitting in the corner about two stores down between where we park and the pizza place. He's just, you know, homeless guy on the street. We don't pay attention to him on the way in. We eat, we leave, I don't pay attention to him. We decide we're going to go back about four days later, and there he is again. We go in the restaurant, we eat. We come out, and he's still there, and you know the Lord struck me. Could this man need something? Could he need a meal? Here you are with a, a half a box of pizza. He's not asking, he's not begging, he's not looking, he's not being a nuisance. He's just sitting in a little corner in this nook there. We pulled over, Karen and the boys and I, and I kneeled down with the pizza and I said, could you use some dinner, my friend? He said, that'd be great. And I prayed with him, we sat, we talked a little bit while he ate. Beloved, we don't have time to meet with absolutely every homeless person we see, but do we meet with any? Do our hearts break enough to make a stop and consider? Because oftentimes we can be of the mindset, you know, it, I'm just too busy, I just don't have time to deal with these people. You know, that is, that is the same improper mindset that for years and years people of a, of a wrong persuasion in some of the Baptist churches have had regarding divorce in the church. For years... The historical Baptist position has been that if a man is divorced, he is absolutely precluded from serving in any leadership in the church in any condition. Why? Because divorce is hard. Trying to figure it all out and try to understand all that went on in those circumstances, that's, just, that's unraveling a ball of twine that I don't know if we're ever going to get to the middle of. So it's easier to just say no. But that's not what God says in His Word. His word tells us that divorce is wrong. His word tells us that he hates divorce. But his word does not tell us that every man who's been divorced is disqualified from serving in leadership in his church. He expects us to do the hard work and to seek to unravel that ball of twine. In many cases, that man may not be qualified, but in some he may. In many cases, that man on the street may not be worthy of you taking him to buy him a meal. And and I would implore you, if you do take the time, do not give them money. 
If you don't have the time to spend some time with them, to take them into McDonald's and buy them a meal, to hear a little bit about their story and to share the gospel, don't give them money to support a cigarette or alcohol habit. But some of them may be genuinely hungry. How about the corners of our field? Are we ready to share it? Ruth's attitude was God-honoring and God blesses her. Well, we'll continue to see that as we move ahead from our material position to our spiritual position, which we'll get to in our second point. But we do not have time to unpack that, so we'll come back and dive back into that as we get in next time. Let me encourage you to continue reading through this section Read on in in chapter 2 and start considering these concepts through verse 13 particularly for next week. Consider those aspects of material attitude and how God specifically allows Ruth to have this attitude. Look at what Boaz's material attitude is going to be and then start looking for those spiritual attitudes and how they come forward. Because beloved, just like we have gleanings in our field that we're not sharing, we have spiritual blessings that we're not partaking of either if god is going to bless us we must be prepared to share those material blessings of every kind we must be ready to go to the downtrodden if true ministry is to visit widows and orphans and if the lord blessed those when they would take a drink of cold water to one or to visit one in a prison how about us How about us? It's such a rich blessing to consider God's gifts to us and the attitude which we need to have in all things.